Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. VR training platforms like the one developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International are helping surgeons train over and over before operating on real patients. As you practice each skill, the muscle memory starts to develop. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Welcome to Hollywood and Levine. I am Ken Levine, your podcast host. This week, my guest is Aaron Korsh. He is the creator and showrunner of Suits. This is actually part two of my two-part interview, and if you missed part one after you listen to this one, well, just go back and check that out. This week, we discuss casting, uh, the breakout ratings when Suits went to Netflix. Also, we get into the whole Meghan Markle Duchess of Sussex phenomenon, and the royal wedding. Plus, an H&L exclusive, the future of suits. All that and much more. But first, a word from our sponsor. Hollywood and Levine is brought to you by BetterHelp. It is the online therapy that can really help improve your life. Now, I went through online therapy during the pandemic, and I have to say, I was a little skeptical at first, but I found it to be way more helpful than I had assumed. There's something about being in the comfort of your own home, and that comfort results in progress. So if you're thinking of starting therapy, well, why don't you consider better help? You just fill out a brief questionnaire. You get matched up with a licensed therapist, and you can switch therapists any time at no additional charge. You know, you got to find the right person, and they will match you up with him or her. So celebrate the progress that you've already made. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Levine today, and you get 10% off your first month. Once again, that's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Levine. And now, part two with Aaron Korsh. Hollywood and Levine. Finding Rachel was really hard because that, it, Rachel was almost written not dissimilarly to Harvey in that a lot of people reading the words cut, came across as unlikable, right? Gabriel was able to be charming and kind of be a dick at the same time. Mm-hmm. Rachel a lot of the women that came in just, they were too harsh. You did not, you know, Mike falls in love with her on site. And yeah, so you needed somebody beautiful, but you also needed somebody that could say these words, sound smart, and also be charming. And, you know, it was a long process till we found Megan. And then, uh, then with Gina, the difficulty was, it was just I had a, a mental block. I thought she would be perfect for the role, but I thought Jessica, in my mind, should be um, older, right? Should be like 60. 
And then once I let that go, I was like, what am I, the, again, the essence of Jessica, like essence of Harvey is charisma the, and charm. The essence of Jessica is power. And I had known Gina from Firefly and I was like, this woman embodies power. I got to get over the fact that in real life, the head of this law firm might be 60 and let her be, you know, she was, I don't know, 40. Um, and that was great. And then Rick, Rick was, eh, it took a while to get Lewis. And then Donna. And now that guy was a find. Oh, and no, that, that guy was an absolute fine. <laughs> and that, to me, is such a difficult character to play because, like you say, he's hateful at times. He is yes. truly hateful, and yet you you love him, and he's entertaining. You know, you, it's like you have found a way to do a... Very smart Frank Burns. Yeah, no, I mean, for, he was the gift that kept on giving. And I, I, I think you and I had lunch years ago, and I told you he was patterned on Frank Burns. My my notion of of Lewis was Frank Burns because I loved that Frank. You know, he was a foil to these guys, but he only ever wanted to be. The, I mean, deep down, all he wanted was to be their friend, right? And whenever they were nice to him, he would just melt. And I was just like, this is what Lewis and Harvey, I mean, there's even a, I've forgotten this, but I'm going to rewatch with my daughter. She's 11 and I'm watching with her. And Harvey says to Alex Williams, Dulé Hill, you know, Dulé, Alex asks Harvey, like, what's the deal with this Lewis Lit guy? And he's like, it's complicated. He's like, what do you mean? He's like, did you ever watch MASH? And he says, yeah, he goes, you know, Frank Burns? He goes, that's Lewis. And, and Alex is like, I get it instantly. So, uh, yeah, he was terrific. Yeah, great. And great voice, too. Love that guy's voice. And and you mentioned uh, Sarah Rafferty, who played Donna. And there, too, that was like a great chemistry between the two of them. And And you straddled the line between the romance and also just co-workers. Yeah. That was very tricky too. And I guess, did they know each other before? Yes. I mean, what happened with Sarah was, and Sarah, another look to me, they were all gifts that kept on giving, but, but Sarah, you know, Gabriel had said, you know, put Sarah up for the role. And he put another woman up for the role, two friends of his that he thought were great actresses. And at the time, you know, I was very beginning, you know, I was kind of had been staffed once, so I was not experienced. And one of my executive producers, Dave Bartis, he he was reluctant to just hire someone because they were the star's friend, because it doesn't set a great precedent, especially if they're not good. So he was kind of reluctant to hire Sarah and... So we kept trying to find someone that was good for the role. And finally, Gene Klein and I said to Dave, like, look, I know you don't want to set this precedent, but she's the best person for the role. And we hired her. And again, gift, gift that kept on giving. And I think their, their long, long friendship helped with their chemistry. But, you know, if you look at her chemistry with Lewis, with Mike, with Rachel, with Jessica, you know, was... She knocked it out of the park. Obviously. Well, you created a great character for her. Yeah. Well, yeah, I, you really did. Okay, so now you're a first-time showrunner. <laughs> and then you have this behemoth. Yes. You know, uh, 
One thing I, I have to say about the writing, you talk about how, especially the first year was the case of the week yeah. kind of thing. I love the fact that you got them into such pickles where I, as a writer, would be sitting there 45 minutes into the show going, they can't get out of this. <laughs> they, they've written themselves. You know, it's like, I, you know, I'm pretty good at, at coming up with solutions and everything. I Nope, they ain't no way out of it. And you do in an ingenious, plausible way. And actually, that's, for me, what the initial attraction of the show was, was, man, this is smart. Man, the, these characters are clever and smart. It was funny. Um, and you know, what, what was that? <laughs> yeah. um, well, look, I appreciate the compliment. You know, it's such a long time ago, the first season especially, but I will say this. You know, the first season, it was really hard in so many ways, you know, especially me being just an inexperienced, right, staff writer level and coming in and running the show. But I was paired with this guy, Sean Jablonski, and Sean and I had an interesting relationship because we did not necessarily see the show through the same lens. Like he sort of wanted it to be one thing and I wanted it to be another. However, that tension, creative tension, we got along very well though, right? So the creative tension that existed between us, it, it did raise the bar. Like for whatever it was going to be, it sort of had to please both of us. And it was so high because he didn't always love what I wanted to do. I didn't always love what he wanted to do. So I think that's probably what pushed us to make the cases more difficult and, and, and really search for cool ways out of them. But to me, what's funny is that was never, I was always more interested. Like originally I'd done a, a, a Wall Street show. It was more of a, a serialized drama or a soap opera, if you want to call it that. Um, so I'm always more interested in the relationships and things like that. But um, yeah, it was it was a high wire act. We tried to pull it off. I will say at the end of the year, you know, when when end of the first season, when Trevor goes to tell Jessica, I was scared shitless to do that. Right? I was like, how the fuck are we going to get out of this? I don't know how we're going to get out of it. And I was really scared. And that was John Cowan who was another, he was like kind of the number three, say. And he had run shows before, and he was like, you just have to trust that we're going to be able to write ourselves out of this. But I was like, John, I don't want to just do something that, like, it was a dream, or, you know, I don't want to undo this pickle we put ourselves no, in. No, and you did it in a very clever way. Yeah. Well, once we came up with it, I was like, oh, God, thank God. And then I realized, look, if you don't put yourselves in a position to write yourself out of something that, you know, was a tough spot, you're going to fail. You'll become sort of stale and, and boring. So it's better to take the chance. You know, that was the lesson I learned at the end of season one is that you, you, you have to, you have to give yourself the challenge of writing yourself out of that, that pickle. And you always had good antagonists and there was always lots and lots of conflict. Yeah. And I will also say, let me just, uh, you know, the writing staff of Suits over the nine years was so good. And I feel like, it, it, you know, all of them. The first year, it was like 
to me, like a murderer's row, these people, what they've gone on to do and what they did the, that first year. And then it just, it just, people would leave and we'd get, I, we get, I just got, so I got as lucky with the writing staff as I did with the cast and the directors and the editors. And it, it really was just, you know, I, I'll say this, you know, I just closed the deal. I mean, I don't know when this podcast is going to come out, but. It's going to come out in about, uh, from when we're recording this, it's going to come out in about a week and a half. Okay. Well, anyway, it's already, they already announced it before the deal closed anyway. So, so, uh, uh, we closed the deal last night. We are going to do, uh, 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 Suits LA. Um, and I'm petrified. I'm like, how the fuck did I do Suits? I'm never going to be able to do it again. Um, and a lot of these writers, you know, they're, you know, we can't afford them all now, and I'm really scared to be doing it with I don't, I don't, I'm not going to have the same cast. Not, hopefully, I'll have some of the same writers. And I am so, so many people had to be so good to make Suits as good as it was. And I can't guarantee <laughs> that I'm going to have those same people. And I'm really afraid. I, I will say that. Uh, you will do fine. I, I think it's smart, though, to set it somewhere else and to do it differently. Yeah. Well, look, the good news is it sort of was backed into that way because this is a script I wrote. I wrote it during the pandemic and it had been percolating in my brain um, for a number of years and it was not meant to be suits, right? This is a separate show. And the history of it is the funny thing is I wrote it about a guy that in the past um, was a prosecutor and in the present became an agent, right? And when I sold it, they said, well, can you make him a lawyer in the present day? Just, it was the same guy that asked me to make him lawyers back then <laughs> and asked me to make him a lawyer today. And, and at the time, it was not envisioned to be part of the Suits universe. And now it, and now it is. So I actually think it's helpful that that is the evolution of it. Because if I had tried to just create another Suits, I don't know what I, I would have done, frankly. So right. I think it was a good happenstance. Well, congratulations on that. You. you you heard it here first, although <laughs> by the time it's it's aired, <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's old news. Um, I, I have to say, though, you somehow killed Meghan Markle's career because I haven't seen her in anything since. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> so what was that whole thing like when she started dating Harry and <laughs> all of a sudden the, the media attention? Um, that must have come out of left field. That was yeah. something that most showrunners don't have to deal with. No, most showrunners don't have. You know, I, I spoke at the like showrunner training program that I I attended while doing the first season of Suits. It was a very helpful WGA program, um, writer skill program, and they asked me. It was I was on a panel with a couple other writers, and they asked us what defines success. And I, I, I said, you know, I used to think success for me was defined as just getting staffed. I just wanted to become a staff writer of a television show. That's all I ever wanted. And now, if I don't change the makeup of the royal family, I feel like I've failed in anything I've ever done. Um, <laughs> but it was crazy. I mean, look, we're making this show. And the next thing you know, she's dating a prince. All this increased scrutiny, which, by the way, I think... 
later when when Netflix all effect all happened, it really helped the show that I think her fame and popularity drove a lot of that. But at the time, it didn't seem to change our ratings at all. I couldn't believe it. Um, and it it you know it didn't change that much for me. It was a little bit of a you know the 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 the. the I don't, I don't know if you call it paparazzi or the fan craziness around her was a little bit, you know, we had to worry about some security, but I didn't really have to deal with that stuff, right? There was, that was the producer's job in, in, in Canada. So that was fun. Right. You filmed the show in Toronto. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And, um, she had been very popular in Canada prior to all that. And, you know, I have said this before. It's funny how when you say these things, people, no matter what I say, by the way, people that there's all these Megan haters, they hate what I say. And then half the time, the Megan lovers hate what I say. It's kind of crazy. But I had said, you know, this thing about they would vet the scripts, right? They would vet the, the royal family would vet the scripts a little bit. And I think it was, I think it was just, it was one or two times. And one of them was, we had put this word poppycock in a script that was based on my wife's parents used the word poppycock to, if you're going to plan a trip that you don't want to be tied into, you just say, this is poppycock, meaning I'm not tied to anything I want, but I'd like to take a trip to Africa next year, whatever. And so we wanted Rachel and Mike to use the word poppycock. And they said they didn't want that because they were worried about somebody putting the word cock in her mouth and saying cock, 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 right? So we took it out, but I was bummed because I had told my in-laws we were going to do that. And when I said that, it came out in the press. And the funny thing is, the people that love the royal family was like, that never happened. You're making it up. You're lying. You can't say who it was that gave the note. And I'm like, well, I don't know who it was that gives any notes. Like, I don't know. They, I get them. From, <laughs> you know, like, I get one person delivers the message. I got it through a, you know, they didn't call me the royal family. But then the people that... For some reason, it also made the people that were Megan fans mad at me. Now I can't remember why that is. But anyway, it was it just heightened everything out to a large degree. But other than that, we were just making the show. And then we got to go to an incredible royal wedding. That was pretty amazing. Yeah, I bet it was. What do you, what do you get somebody as a wedding gift who's going to become the Duchess <laughs> of Sussex? You know, I don't I don't. You know, I didn't. I don't think. I don't. I think we might have showed up empty-handed. Um, I think you were supposed to donate to charity or something. I, that's a great question. I do not remember. Uh, a suits hoodie, <laughs> swag. Season seven yeah. swag from the show. You mentioned Netflix, and this is again every showrunner's dream. Your show goes on Netflix, and. I guess because of the way they promoted it or whatever, it was on the main page. It just blew up and became a much bigger hit, a, a sensation uh, th than it ever did when you were on the USA network and did 134 of them. Yeah. It, you know, and it also sort of happened around the writer's strike. So it was like everything was shut down and there was no news. It seemed like the only news in the world was how well Suits was doing. It was it was kind of insane from an entertainment, in the entertainment news anyway. But um, yeah, it was nuts. Look, I do remember at the time, I think it was season five or six. I'm not sure, but 
there was a notion to sell it to a streamer. And I'm not really involved in those discussions, though I was a profit participant. But I remember hearing that the choice was between if we sell it to Amazon, we're going to make a, a lot more money on per episode. But if they sell it to Netflix, there is always the chance that on Netflix shows can explode because like Breaking Bad exploded. And I think that show you and maybe Manifest, a few other shows had had done it. Maybe at the time it was only Breaking Bad. So do we take the money or do we go on Netflix and maybe raise the popularity of the show while it's still being made? And they, I think it worked out tremendously because they ended up getting the money from Amazon and then sold it to Netflix later. And we got the huge explosion in popularity at, at the time. It was too late to, you know, capitalize from a rating standpoint, but I am, you know, I was over the moon about it. It was so, it was so exciting, you know, to have this thing that all of a sudden people are looking at and uh, it was, it was great. You know, and it's interesting and it, it tells you a lot about perception, timing, where you are, it's the same show. Same show. It's the same show that was on <laughs> USA. And and I'm one of the people that re-binged it, and, and I enjoyed it. And again, it's so dense that I had forgotten a lot of the the stuff. Oh, my God. You know, I, along I, the way. I watched every, you know, I'm in the edit bay, right? So I'm, I'm, I'm obviously watching every episode probably five, six times, right? At, at minimum. And I'm watching it and I'm like, I forgot. So this is part of why I'm so petrified for the new show. We watched, you know, when you're watching it so many years later, I'm almost, it's not exactly like a new viewer, but I watch it and I'm like, holy fuck, this is pretty, this is pretty good. You know, while I was in it, <laughs> I, I had a difficult relationship with it. A lot of times I would watch an episode and I didn't like it. And I felt, I was judging what I wanted it to be versus what it was. You know, it's a weird relationship you have with your own artistic creation but having some removed from it i really did appreciate it more but it makes me go oh, shit i'm never going to be able to do that again <laughs> <laughs> yeah i would watch shows that i worked on and at the time all i could think of was oh god that rewrite night was forever and yeah jesus this is the night we had the problem with this and, oh, God, this was when the actor had pleurisy and we had to write him out. And, it, you know, um, whereas now I can watch a, a, a show from that distance and go, yeah, this is this is pretty good. Yeah. 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 No, it's, it's, the distance really it really helps um, because I look, I was very hard on the show. Basically, I, I think I was just hard on myself and at the time. And yet now looking back, I can, it's, I just can appreciate it much more. Yeah. Well, that's great. So what platform is the new one going to be on? Uh, it, it, well, it's a pilot, so it's not picked up the series yet, but NBC. NBC. Where are they on the diet? Is that like, uh, channel eight hundred and eleven. Channel four in Los Angeles for all you viewers. I think it's it used to be channel three when I lived in uh, Philadelphia. I think in New York. Um, yeah, no, I'm excited about it. Um, 
Yeah, yeah, but we got to make this pilot. We got to, uh, we really just, I mean, literally just before this podcast, we had our sort of first meeting um, post the deal closing and uh, just to get it going. Well, fantastic. Aaron, thank you so much. This has really been a treat and good luck on the new series. Thank you so much. None of the actors I ever hired became royalty. Probably why none of my shows are on Netflix. That is our two-part interview with Aaron Korsh. As always, our thanks to Adam and Susie Meister-Butler, to Howard Hoffman, to John Wolfert, Bruce and Jason Miller. My email address is hollywoodlevine at outlook.com. Should you wish to get in touch, that's hollywoodlevine at outlook.com. Start sending in your questions because I want to do an episode where I answer a number of them. Hollywood Levine at Outlook.com. And if you want to see my New Yorker cartoons, just go to my Instagram page, Hollywood and Levine. So that'll do it for this week. More good stuff coming up next week right here on Hollywood and Levine.